0: Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley.
1: Hello and welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Folks, we are really going to get high today, heading right into outer space. Yes, UFOs, unidentified flying objects i don't know if a lot of you out there believe in ufos or don't believe in them but it turns out that the gallup poll recently found that 33 percent of respondents actually believe that some ufo sightings are attributed to alien visitations now in 2019 there were new guidelines for pilots and personnel to report sightings of unexplained aerial phenomena about UFOs. So it seems that the army and the uh, and the navy also is taking this rather seriously. There was a navy spokesperson that said that there had been numerous reports of unauthorized and or unidentified aircraft entering military airspace in recent years. And he said, the Navy and the Air Force take these reports seriously and investigate them thoroughly. So on to our topic today, UFOs and our guest, and I'm really excited to have him on. He's become a big star. As a matter of fact, I think he's doing hundreds of interviews in the next couple of uh, weeks. His name is Dr. Avi Loeb, an Israeli-American science Professor, he's at Harvard University, and he's going to clear up some UFO matters. Now, he is also Chairman of Physics and Astronomy at, um, what is it called again, at the National Academies. He's member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, and Chair of the Harvard Astronomy Department. And Professor Loeb has also just written I got to tell you, it's a fabulous book. It really is. The book is called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. And it'll be available in bookstores and online on January 26. And I got to tell you, it's a must read. It will open your eyes up. Professor Loeb, welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm very well. Thanks for having me.
1: Good. Now, your book, and I want to, I'm want i going to say it again so people remember it, Extraterrestrial, the First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth, it's its certainly groundbreaking, and in a way akin to Alan Hy- Hynek's 1972 blockbuster book, The UFO Experience. Is, is there any kind of, can you say that I'm correct that, you know, because that was a big blockbuster. It, will, will, will yours be like that too?
0: well um you know i operate as a scientist i don't look back um, and uh, i look forward in the sense of looking at the evidence we have uh, and in this case it's a particular object that was discovered in october 2017. and while looking at the evidence um, there were a lot of anomalies about this object and i try to explain them as a natural uh, object that is uh, just like the rocks we have seen before within the solar system but uh, there were problems with any of these explanations and so i was forced to uh, suggest that perhaps it's artificially made uh and you know it's not i'm not motivated by trying to replicate the stories of the past uh, i just looked at the evidence and it looked like a plausible explanation for the anomalies that were seen and i wrote about it in a scientific paper and uh, the story became viral there was a very Uh, huge response from the public, of course, and the interest in the subject. And I decided to write the book explaining why I was uh, driven into this conclusion. At the same time, the scientific community was very reserved and uh, pushed back. And I also discussed that subject in my book, the fact that Um, uh, We need uh, more open-mindedness in the scientific community to entertain this possibility that we are not alone, that there might be technological signatures out there, and we should search for them. Obviously, if we don't search for them, if we are not open to discover them, we will never find them and uh, it's sort of like stepping on the grass and saying look the grass doesn't grow if you don't fund searches like that if you don't tell, if you discourage young scientists from entering this field then nothing will be discovered
1: now i want to ask you it was seen by a, a huge telescope in hawaii did did these people like call you up how did you find out about it oh it's uh, and, the... and okay can you hear me now okay now this was discovered uh, by a huge telescope in Hawaii. Uh, when did you see it? And did the, the observers call you up and say, we found something that's very strange. We think maybe it's a comet. I mean, did you get on the next plane and go there to actually look at it? Uh, how did this all come about? Can you, can you tell us from your, from your point of view
0: Yeah. So the telescope was designed to survey the sky and look for dangerous rocks that may come close to Earth. You know that the dinosaurs were killed by a giant rock, roughly the size of uh, Manhattan Island. Uh, And they saw it coming, but they couldn't do much about it because they didn't have astronomers to warn them in advance. And Congress decided to ask to task astronomers, to task NASA at finding 90% of all objects bigger than 140 meters, uh, a few hundred feet, uh, that are coming, that may come close to Earth. And uh, the Pan-STARRS telescope is the first attempt to survey the sky and look for such objects. And in the process of doing that, it discovered the first object that uh, came close to Earth from outside the solar system. And we can tell that it came from outside the solar system because it was moving too fast to be bound to the sun. And so um, he discovered this object, reported about it. That's the way scientific discoveries are made. Uh, There is an official pipeline where uh, reports come out by the observers. Uh, The telescope is situated in uh, Mount Haleakala in Maui, Hawaii. And actually, I visited that observatory. I gave a talk there uh, in July 2017. Uh, But back then, it was not known that this object is heading towards us. Uh, It was discovered only on October 19th, 2017. So then I saw the report uh, of the observers. And of course, it was interesting, but astronomers thought it must be a comet. That's the typical kind of objects that our solar system has. And if you imagine an object like that coming from another solar system around another star, uh, perhaps... You know, it would look just like a comet, and that was the natural expectation. And a comet is simply a rock that is covered with ice. And when it comes close to the sun, the ice evaporates, and then you get this cometary tail behind it of evaporated gases. Unfortunately, there was no such tail seen around Oumuamua. The name Oumuamua means in the Hawaiian language, a scout, a messenger from far away. That was the name given Mm. to the object because it was discovered in Hawaii. Uh, So it didn't look like a comet, uh, but then it started showing all kinds of peculiar features. For example, the amount of sunlight that was reflected from it as it was tumbling changed by a factor of 10. And that's very unusual. It means that the object has a very extreme geometry. If you imagine a piece of paper tumbling in the wind, um, then uh, the area that you see of the paper projected uh, you know, is not changing by more than a factor of 10. That's sort of quite extreme. Uh, and so um, uh, this object must have an extreme geometry. And when uh, uh, people try to explain the amount of reflected light as it was tumbling, uh, they figured that it must be flat, not cigar-shaped the way it was depicted in some cartoons, but, but flat, pancake-shaped. And then uh, in addition, so people say, okay, well, maybe it's a flat kind of rock, you know. Uh, But the problem was that it exhibited an extra push away from the sun. And um, that is usually the kind of push you get from the rocket effect. When you have a comet, when gases evaporate one way, they push the the rock in the opposite direction. But there there was no cometary tail. So the question arose as to what is pushing it. And the only thing that I could think of is sunlight reflecting off its surface. But in order for that to be effective at pushing it, you needed the object to be very thin, uh, sort of like a sail. Um, And a sail on a boat is being pushed by wind reflected off it, air reflected off it. And um, in this case, it was light uh, reflecting off it. And that's called a light sail. And we are currently developing this technology Uh, for space exploration. Our own civilization is trying to use it. It has the advantage that you don't need to carry the fuel with the spacecraft, so the spacecraft can be light, very light, lightweight. Um, And uh, perhaps another civilization mastered this technology. Now, I should say that in, in September 2020, just a few months ago, there was another object that exhibited this kind of extra push from reflected sunlight and uh, no cometary tail, and it turned out that this object was a rocket booster that was kicked into space in a mission from 1966 to land on the moon, and clearly in that case, we know what the object is. It's very hollow, and that's why it's getting pushed by sunlight. It's very thin. Uh, We know that it's artificially made because we made it. The question is, who made Oumuamua? And where do you
1: think it came from? Do you have so, any ideas uh, uh, about it, where you think it could have come from?
0: Well, uh, the strain, another strange thing about it, and I describe it in the book, is that um, it was sort of parked in uh, the public parking lot of uh, our neighborhood. Uh, and that is the frame of reference where you average over the random motions of all the stars in the vicinity of the sun. It's called the local standard of rest. And this object was at rest in that frame, sort of like a buoy sitting at rest on the surface of the ocean. And then the solar system, like a ship, bumped into it. So the relative speed between us and this object was just because the sun is moving in this frame. Uh, And so uh, that implies that you cannot relate it to any star because only one in 500 stars are so much at rest in that frame. So... um, we don't know where it came from, and we don't know what its purpose is. The fact that it sits in that parking lot, so to speak, so that you can't really tell where it came from, which house this car that is parked in the public parking lot came from, uh, the fact that you can't do that may, be, may imply that it maybe it's a, a member of a grid of objects filling up interstellar space that is used for navigation, or as relay stations for communication. Who knows? But the key question is not so much where it came from, but what its purpose is. Is it space junk? Or is it put there for a purpose? And do
1: you think it could be space junk? Yeah, What are you you thinking about this, Uh, uh, you know, is is it something that we should be maybe nervous about? Uh, What is your your, your whole uh, idea of what it is?
0: Yeah, I don't think we should be nervous about because, uh, well, first of all, it was tumbling. So that shows you that, you know, it was not uh, behaving in a way that is structured, you know, it was just spinning around in a way that is uncontrolled. Um, I don't think we deserve a visit. If you ask me, uh, we are not particularly unusual. I think, you know, we know that, uh, about half of the sun-like stars have a planet of the size of the earth, roughly at the same distance and the chemistry and potentially could have liquid water on the surface and the chemistry of life as we know it. So I don't think that we uh, have very special circumstances here on earth that, uh, do not get replicated in many other places, billions of other systems, Earth, Sun systems within the Milky Way galaxy alone. And then you have trillions of such galaxies in the observable volume of the universe. So I don't think we are special. I think that we are probably middle of the road kind of uh, outcome of the conditions on our planet. And, uh, you know, when you walk down the street and there are lots of ants, on the sidewalk, you don't pay attention to every ant, so I don't think we deserve special attention and I don't think we are getting any special attention. This must, if this is really artificial, it's probably debris or, um, you know, some, some, just like plastic bottle on the beach that you find every now and then when you walk on the beach, among the natural seashells that uh, are most common on a beach, so... You know, m- many of the objects that we will find in space are natural, but every now and then we may stumble on a an artificial object.
1: Do you think uh, that in the next maybe five years, ten years, that actually there might be aliens, so-called aliens, coming to, you, you know, the, our world? Do you think well, that is it? Is that part of the playbook, do you think? I mean, if we're, if we're talking about a movie...
0: Um, No, I mean, I'm not um, not a fan of science fiction movies because uh, many times the storyline violates the laws of physics. So I can't enjoy it. Uh, One thing to recognize is the distances are huge. You know, the nearest star is more than four light years away. So it takes light four years to to, to travel the distance. So the results of the 2016 elections are only now getting there. Um, These are... (laughs) And, and most spacecrafts move very slowly compared to the speed of light. So the journey takes a long, long time. Uh, now, we've been broadcasting radio for a century now. And uh, there is a bubble of radio waves surrounding us out to 100 light years. And uh, if there is any civilization with radio telescopes, they already know about us within this bubble. Um, and so we might hear from them. We were not careful. Uh, my advice is to stay as quiet as possible and just listen, look around who might be in the room. You enter into a room full of strangers. You don't want to be very loud until you figure out who is in the room.
1: Interesting. Interesting. You know, um, when you talk like that, uh I start thinking about that. Maybe we are in the process of destroying our planet and ourselves as as a, as a species. And, uh, and maybe some people are even waiting for uh, the universe to come to us and help us. Uh, you know, I, I read things like that, and I say, "Well, where are they coming up with these ideas?" Uh, but uh, uh, do you think we're going down in that direction?
0: Well, we can get our act together. So, one uh, important thing we can learn from the sky is if we find evidence for civilizations that destroy themselves, and then we can figure out why they that happened, and not follow the same fate by trying to get our acts together. You know, and um, that's one thing. That's one important lesson we can learn from the sky. Um, waiting for someone to save us reminds me of those. Uh, friends of my uh, wife that used to wait for uh, the ideal boyfriend or future husband and would sit and wait and wait and wait and nothing would come along. And I think uh, it makes much more sense.
1: (laughs) To go out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, to go out. Exactly. Um, So currently, you know, we are sitting on earth. We we have all our eggs in one basket. All the things that are precious to us are here on earth. Uh, And if a catastrophe happens on earth, we lose everything, and it would make much more sense to go elsewhere and spread our eggs among uh, different baskets, uh, so that you know, uh, if some, if a point catastrophe happens in one of them, it still keeps the others alive. And you know, it's similar to the printing press of Gutenberg that uh, duplicated the Bible, the Old Testament. Um, that was previously just handwritten and was very, you know, each book was extremely precious. But once the printing press produced copies and distributed them uh, in many places, um, each of them was not as valuable. And so if something bad happened to one of the copies, you wouldn't worry too much.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for you, what are your next steps in terms of, of shall we say, outer space and aliens. Are you going in any, any direction now that you've got this big book and you're going to get lots of publicity and, and people are going to, you know, want to meet you and all that. What, what, what's the next step in, in, in your, your profession and what you're doing? If you know, I may every, ask a personal question.
0: <laughs> every morning is, uh, opens a new day and I should say I, I appeared on Joe Rogan uh, on Friday, uh, at his pod, podcast. And, uh, a couple of days ago, someone that uh, heard the podcast decided to start uh, uh, crowdfunding for me to have an experiment that will uh, check uh, the sites where unidentified flying objects were reported and use the best scientific instrumentation to figure out if if they are real or not. You know, science is about reproducible results. Mm-hmm. You can repeat. Uh, the observations and try and, and see if they if something unusual happens and and we can do it with the best instruments that are available now. It makes very little sense, in my opinion, to wait for those Pentagon papers or classified documents because they were reporting results that were obtained with old instruments, decades old, and now we have much better recording devices. So so why wait for those documents? and read them. I mean, it's really not relevant. Let's go to these sites, use the very best recording devices we have right now, and and deploy them and and take measurements. And if something unusual shows up, we will have scientific data that we can analyze. And uh, someone heard me say that on on Joe Rogan's uh, podcast, and decided to uh, aim at a 50-million-euro project that will uh, go to these sites and, and measure things.
1: Oh, you you become a hot commodity. That's <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> I like what you're doing. Now, to be a little more serious, in your introduction, and I'm going to read this, in, in your introduction, uh, introduction to your book, you say, you ask if humans are prepared to confront the fact that terrestrial life is not unique, nor perhaps even particularly impressive. What is your answer to that question?
0: Yeah, I don't I I th- I'm approaching our existence from uh, a point of uh, a point of view of modesty. I think um, It makes most sense to be modest because if you look at human history, starting with Aristotle, you know, he argued that we are at the center of the universe. He had this mental picture of the earth sitting in the middle and there are all these spheres around it. And that held for a thousand years until Copernicus and Galileo argued that actually the earth moves moves around the sun you know it's it's not at the center of anything and the sun we know now moves around the center of the galaxy and the galaxy moves in some random direction there are trillions of galaxies like it in the universe we are really not in a privileged position okay and uh, that's um, that shows you some uh, modesty you know uh, it, it, it teaches you modesty because we are not privileged in any way and i think the same applies to life, You know, we tend to think that we are at the center of the living unit. Maybe we are unique and special. Maybe we are the smartest kid on the block. That is probably not true. You know, when my daughters were young, they thought that they have very special qualities, but they matured as soon as they went out to the street and saw other kids and went to the kindergarten because then they saw kids with similar qualities or maybe even uh, better qualities. Uh, And our civilization will mature as soon as we see others. But for now, some people have this illusion that Mm -hmm. we are unique and special. And I wouldn't say just some people. I would say the mainstream of the scientific community is not even willing to discuss. There is a taboo on discussing the possibility of searching for technological signatures out there. And I think it's really inappropriate, unhealthy, because uh, we know that the Earth-Sun system is a common occurrence in the Milky Way galaxy. And why would we be arrogant enough to say, let's not even search? Uh, I think the more conservative assumption would be to say, under similar circumstances, you get similar outcomes. So the most down-to-earth approach would be to say, they must exist out there. Let's just search for the signals or signatures of them. You know, we can search for objects that they left as in space and Oumuamua may be one of them. Why is that a problem? You know, why should there be a taboo on discussing it? Uh, I find that the current culture, scientific culture, holds exactly the opposite opinion to what it's supposed to hold. And especially when the public is so interested in that, the public funds science. And the scientists should not shy away from questions that the public is interested in. Now, even if there is nonsense being said about the same questions that you find in some fiction books and so forth, that should not prevent scientists from addressing these questions uh, seriously, you know, with the best scientific methodology. Who cares about what, you know, when uh, in the Middle Ages there were arguments why a human body should not be dissected, that did not prevent modern medicine from developing you know you can ignore all the wrong statements made and develop using the scientific tools develop modern medicine uh, and 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 do operations to human bodies and not not worry so much about what people said that make you know in the middle ages
1: i understand that now tell me what is your next project do you have a next project another book that you're working on already
0: uh, or, yeah, well, are you um, laying
1: low? Give us, give us a little a hint of what's what's coming well, uh, next. Well,
0: every week or two, I I write um, an essay for Scientific American, and and I um, read some of them. Yeah, so those are the seeds for my next book, and uh-huh. uh, I just need to decide which seed would be would give the the most beautiful blossoming. Uh, uh, you know. Um, result. Um, uh, but, but the seeds are already there. And in terms of my scientific papers, uh, I just had a paper accepted for publication yesterday explaining uh, where did the, this rock that killed the dinosaurs come from. It was a puzzle um, as to the origin, the source of, of this giant rock that came down on the dinosaurs. And uh, in this paper that we just got accepted, we explained its origin.
1: Ah, and you're not going to tell us because you want us to go and read the article on Scientific American. Scientific well, American. There, will, there will be a, a,
0: a, an, an essay. I submitted it this morning. I just wrote it yesterday. There will be an, an essay in Scientific American that was just accepted for publication. Uh, my actual scientific paper will appear in a few weeks in Nature magazine, Scientific Reports. Uh, so, But I'm not allowed to reveal the content. There is a, a, a press embargo. But I'm just telling you the subject on what you know that excited me this morning. You know, I submitted. Yes, let's hear, let's
1: hear. Let's hear. Let's <laughs> hear. Give us a little hint.
0: No. So every morning is a new beginning, and um, uh, I never rest on, on my laurels. And I, you know, what what is exciting for me on on in science is the continuous wonder about the world and trying to figure out things about it. And, you know, it's not really about us demonstrating that we are smart, maintaining our image, avoiding mistakes. It's not that. That's what many scientists focus on, trying to preserve their image. and be. It's really about figuring out what nature is. And, you know, in the process of doing that, just like a kid, sometimes you make mistakes, but it's an exciting project, uh, process to figure out what nature is, and that's what I enjoy doing. And, you know, I grew up on a farm in Israel, and as a kid, I was doing just that. And I try to maintain as much as possible my innocence of curiosity and, and not pay much attention to ego-motivated uh, agenda, you know, and... Um, I don't care how many likes I have on Twitter. This, this is completely irrelevant for me. And what are the labels that I get in my leadership positions? I still try to address you know, the, the evidence that we get in the, in, in the scientific work um, completely uh, as it is, you know, and, and not worry about the implications that it might bring to my career.
1: Well, I wish we could go on talking because you're fascinating and you, you can talk a mile a minute and give so much information at the same time. I want to tell everybody again, Professor Loeb and his book is called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. And it will be coming out in another week. And I'm sure it could end up being number one on the bestsellers list. And um Dr. Lobo, I'd love to have you on again. And when you find an, a, a, another something out there, whether it's, it, it's, it's a, a, a cylinder or, or more than that, we'd love to have you on and, and, and get the latest on what's happening out there in outer space. And I'm going to say something now in Hebrew. Tell me if it's right, Toda Rabba. Todoraba?
0: yes oh, to- tada rabba. that and, means uh, thank you <laughs> yeah and it was a real pleasure speaking with you and I'll be glad to come again uh, whenever we have something exciting to discuss
1: please please if even make us the first one
0: <laughs> okay uh, by the way it was uh, Steven Spielberg when I met him that at the honorary degrees dinner uh, at Harvard uh, that told me if you meet an alien uh, please uh, Contact me first.
1: <laughs> yeah, he wants the rights. He wants the rights. <laughs> the movie, I understand yeah, to the film. That.
0: By the way, there are there are seven uh, filmmakers and producers from Hollywood that contacted me over the past few days, and I just told my literary agent that if a, a film ever comes out of this book, I want Brad Pitt to play my role.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. What else, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Well, I, I thank you so much, and. Um, you know, tell your your friends out there, uh, folks, that uh, they can listen to this entire broadcast on our website, which is PaxtonQuigley.com. And you can find links to our social media sites as well. We've had some wonderful guests. I think this tops tops our our list right now. Uh, And so again, we appreciate the the wonderful informative guests that we have like Professor Avi Loeb. And and we appreciate our audience. And and feel free to get in touch with us at any time. We're, We're a talk show, but we all do listen to you. And I'd also like to thank our listeners who purchased my recent novel, which is called Just Try Me. And Professor Loeb, I want you to know about my book. It's called Just Try Me. Okay, I will try you. It's on Amazon. Yeah, try me. (laughs) And it's on Amazon.com. So listeners, please stay safe. I'm getting serious now. Wear a mask. And if you have to, stay home. Folks, we we can beat this virus if we work together. Thanks for everything. I'm Paxton Quigley.